in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The 49ers beat the Chargers 22-16. to Sunday night football. Chargers were uh, outscored 12-0 in the second half by the 49ers. They were playing without Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, so DeAndre Carter was the leading receiver. Uh, Chargers fall to 5-4. 49ers jump up to 5-4. They are right behind the Seahawks in the NFC West. I wish I'm not writing Raiders games. Sometimes I can actually watch these other games. Yeah, yeah they're kind of fun. Yeah, I mean Raiders games are highly entertaining. Oh my god, well, and it's highly entertaining to write it. Yeah, oh yeah, phenomenal entertainment. So it, it, at least you're getting well. The end of the season might be bad because it's over, but at least you've been getting distracted by it. highly entertaining. You can't you can't do enough on these guys right. now. Right, <laughs> believe me. Um, have you did you get to wax poetic about uh, <laughs> Matt Ryan? I don't know running freely <laughs> for like a gazelle down the field. I don't know what the exact stat is, but I don't believe Justin Herbert threw a ball beyond 10 yards down the field in the second half last night. Like, he, the, everything was short. Even when they would get into, like, third and 12, he was throwing it short, which uh, credit probably deserves some go, to go to San Francisco. But also, a lot of that goes to them not having Mike Williams. And he didn't Keenan get hurt, Allen. did he? Herbert? Someone told me that Ke- Case Keenum, I think it was Case Keenum, came Chase in. Chase Daniel. Uh, Excuse me, Chase Daniel came in and threw a couple passes? Yeah, hit, he got his hit head. To the head. Oof. Yeah, uh, Herbert was scrambling, ran for a first down, and as he was getting tackled, got hit, helmet to helmet hit, and they ejected Ear the linebacker. Hold. Who was that? Oh, Green Long for the 49ers? Yeah, they ejected the linebacker for a, basically targeting. Um, and Chase, the, Herbert got up fines, tried to stay in the game, but the concussion spotters said bring him made him leave and it was the last uh, drive of the second quarter so chase daniel came in i think they ran three plays didn't go anywhere kicked a field goal and that was that and then herbert came out and played the whole second half so he did have to leave the game but it was a concussion spotter pulled him not a okay laying on the ground with an obvious concussion situation for herbert Kalong told me a couple days ago, I, you got to get rid of this echo. <laughs> can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. <laughs> the Giants are 7-2 and two after beating the Texans 24-16. to 16. <laughs> The Giants are the worst 7-2 and two team in NFL history. I hope history. you're right about that. Even after the loss of the Packers. <laughs> the Giants are not very good. They can't be. They they're can't not, be. They're not very good. But they're seven and two. They're just they're just not a like the Vikings. You were sitting here saying they're a good team. Okay, the 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 Giants are not a good team, but yet they're seven and two. Daniel Jones threw it seventeen times yesterday, and they barely beat the Texans. Right, like the Texans, the the Raiders beat the Texans. You gotta you gotta beat the Texans fairly easily, by the way. Right, you gotta beat them by eight points. Come on, seven and two Giants. They're not that good, but they're gonna probably be in the playoffs because they're seven and two, and it's really hard to miss the playoffs when you start seven and two. But they're going to make the playoffs and they're going to get beat in the first round by like 30 because they're going to have to go on the road to where would they even go at this point? Some some random, they might have to go, they'll go to San Francisco or something and lose by 40 in that game. Or Minnesota. Or, or they're going to win by two and Daniel Jones will be, have a gentleman's nine completions. <laughs> I don't care about your next question. The Packers beat the Cowboys though. Yeah, they did. 
What happened there? What 28 a disaster. 14 in the 28 fourth. 28-14. And they lose in overtime. Uh, Mike McCarthy went for it on fourth and three from the Green Bay 35 in overtime. Could have kicked what would have been a 52-53 yard field goal outdoors in Lambeau. Elected to go for it. And that field goal, by the way, would not have won the game. Uh, Aaron Rodgers still would have gotten a shot. But the Packers got a stop. And then the Packers drove down, kicked a field goal, and won the game. Um, but more importantly from this, did you see Rodgers cussing out Matt LaFleur? Mm-hmm. Did you see that video? End of regulation. What? Packers had a third and one with 30 seconds left. When they had come back? Yeah, tie game already. And the Packers had a third and one with 30 seconds left. And Rodgers, they, whatever play they called, Rodgers held it for a while and then ultimately threw it away because nobody was open. And when he came off the field, was cussing at Matt LaFleur, reading lips like he called him an MFer, right? 100%. And I could not figure out why. I have no idea why he was so mad at Matt LaFleur after a third and one play. Because here's the thing on Rodgers being upset. A lot of people thought it was like play calling. Change the play. Yeah. Like, call. If you don't don't like the play, check into something else. Yeah, exactly. This isn't rookie quarterback. No, you're Aaron Rodgers. You can check anything you want. Right. Like, there, when the Packers kicked the field goal on fourth down in the playoffs and Rodgers was mad at LaFleur because they weren't going for it, and Rodgers said afterwards, well, I thought we were going to go for it. I wouldn't have scrambled if I thought if we weren't going right. to go for it. That's You can be mad at Tread Coach for that because Aaron Rodgers has no control over whether they go for it on a fourth down or not. But to run off the field yelling at the coach over the play call, just change the play call if you didn't like it. And here's the thing on third and one. Can you imagine if they had run the ball and gotten stuffed? Rodgers would have been furious. Yeah, he'd have been going crazy. Like, put the ball in my hand. Like, change the play, dude. If you want a different play, change it. Don't get mad at your head coach. Yeah. Change the play. You can do that. You're Aaron Rodgers. LaFleur's not gonna LaFleur's not gonna say anything to you. If you change the play, what's the battle floor gonna say? You're you're probably bigger than him and he's Green not Bay. gonna say anything. So that I was surprised at. But I uh stick to, I'll stick to my prediction. The Packers will beat the Vikings in the playoffs. As a wild card, they would go yeah. into Minnesota. They'll go to Minnesota and beat and the Vikings. They'll be the seven seed, win against the two seed Vikings. Probably lose after that, but they're going to go into Minnesota and win. Wow. Sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. In college football, terrible day for the Pac 12. Oregon lost Awful. to Washington and UCLA lost to Arizona, which means there's only one one loss team left in the Pac 12. It is USC. USC is going to have to beat UCLA, and they're going to have to win the Pac-12 title game to have, to a, shot. have a chance at the playoff. Um, otherwise, I think you're looking at Utah, Washington, UCLA, and Oregon are all two-loss Pac-12 teams. Well, they're which, not getting in. Right. At this point, seems nearly impossible for a two-loss no chance. Pac-12 No, because there'll be two-loss SEC teams right. that would go ahead of them. So Pac-12's playoff hopes come down to USC winning out. And if they do win out, they're going to have a legitimate shot. But they have to win out, and given what we've seen from the Pac-12, they will probably lose a game. Right. And the Pac-12 will end up with like three two-loss teams that are all pretty good, but not good enough to actually run the table or just do it with one loss and get into the playoff. Oh, Next question. Standing in your corner. Next question. LSU has already won the SEC West after they beat Arkansas, and Alabama beat Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. LSU has two losses this year, one of them to Florida State. So here's my question for you. What SEC teams go to the playoff if LSU wins the SEC title? Because you would be looking at a potential two-loss SEC champion LSU 
one loss Georgia, one loss Tennessee, and two loss Alabama still out there. I would say Georgia would get in. And here's the thing about the, the committee. This would be a great test and challenge for them on the whole notion of we we put uh, conference champions in or we put, we, we put heavyweight on conference championships. And that would be LSU beating the number one team in the country. Right. So I think LSU would have a leg up over Tennessee. And I, I mean, they beat Alabama. Right. In that scenario, they uh, LSU would have wins over Alabama and Georgia. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any way Alabama gets in. I think their right. season is done for. There's just too many teams ahead of them. So you're looking at LSU, Georgia, and Tennessee. You're probably one of Ohio State and Michigan is going to go, and then you've got a couple other teams that could get in. But I'd be curious to see what they do with a two-loss LSU team versus the one-loss Georgia and the one-loss Tennessee. Tennessee. And there, there is, there is a legitimate chance. I don't think it'll happen because enough teams will lose. There is a chance two-loss LSU doesn't get in as the SEC champion. Oh, there's all yeah. Right. Because like, of the two losses. That's entirely yeah. possible to make sure. two losses and do not make it into the playoff. Is my math wrong? That Alabama's you, not getting it. Hold on. No. you Listen. You put in Tennessee, Georgia, LSU, and Alabama. Alabama there you go. You got four it. teams. <laughs> that's what you it. need. They're not, they're not even close. They don't have a single. They weren't in the conference championship one year and went. <laughs> they only had one loss that year, and they had a quality win. They're not going to have a quality win this year. Well, they beat Ole Miss. That's like their biggest quality win of the season, and that doesn't count. Well, can't, are you proud of yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're proud of yourself? Yeah, Fox backs me. Well, and to be honest, to be honest. No, no, selection. that's enough. That's enough. Next question, please. TCU beat Texas, a dominant defensive performance. Texas only scored a touchdown on a fumble. They picked up and scored. TCU has Baylor. Iowa State and the Big 12 title game left. Are they winning all three? I think they lose a Baylor this oh, week. Oh, come on. Yeah, I know. I know. If they win yeah. all three, they're in. Absolutely. They'd be undefeated in Big 12 champions. They're in if they win all three. And you don't think they can do it? Can, yes, will, no. Come on. They're going to go to Baylor and win? I, they took okay. care of Texas? I know. And that was great defense. That was great defense by them. But I think they lose a Baylor this week. I thought they'd lose at least one back to back at Texas at Baylor, so I have to stick with my prediction. Right. If they beat Baylor, are they going? Yes. <laughs> They're good. You know what's going to happen to TCU? Well, who's the Big Twelve title game? It hasn't been decided yet uh, because it's round robin, so it can be whoever. It's just whoever finishes second behind them. You know what's going to happen? They're going to beat Baylor. They're going to beat Iowa State, and then they're going to lose the Big Twelve championship game on the final game. To someone like well, yeah, it could, it could be, be Baylor. Texas again. It could be Texas. Yeah. Could be Baylor. They're going to lose the Big 12 title game and knock the Big 12 out of the uh, college football playoff and make sure three SEC teams get in. Well, either they're getting in or nobody for the Big 12 is getting in. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. that's it. That's the only hope. I can't speak for everybody, you know, for every man, what's going on in their head, but I can tell you what's going on in my head, and I'm going to give it all that I can every single time. Is that the end of that one? There were two 50-point games in the NBA yesterday. Joel Embiid had 59 points, 11 rebounds, 8 assists, and 7 blocks. And Darius game. Garland went for 51. Um, Cavs, Cavs lost. lost Philly won. Joel Embiid was two assists and three blocks away from a 50-point quadruple double. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I'm kind of devastated he didn't get there. Like, that would be one of the greatest stat lines, yeah. in, maybe the greatest stat line in NBA history. 
to have a 50-point quadruple-double. I think uh, I saw a stat that he's the only player ever to have 50, 10, 5, and 5. Like, that'd be an unbelievable stat line from Joel Embiid. And you know what's funny? The Sixers just got back to 500 thanks to that performance Yeah, I was going to ask you about them in terms of their standings. <laughs> they're 7-7. Seven and seven, So that just got them back to 500. Seven, they're in the seventh seed right now. Oh, yes. Got to look at the NBA playoff seedings right now. It won't change at yep. all. Uh, so, yeah. Joel Embiid, phenomenal performance, uh, but still blew it because he could add a 50-point quadruple double. All right, coming up next, we'll get into some Golden Knights. Kelly Rosen on the right, over to the left side, Mikola, and the shot, they score! Well, Brandon Saad finds an opening, and St. Louis strikes first, one nothing Blues, with 10-13 to go in the first. Blues dump it in. He'll have touched to his left. Oh, he gave it away. Puck comes out in front. They score. The Blues have tied it two and two. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. The Golden Knights win streak was snapped. They couldn't win every game the rest of the season. They're now just 13-3 and oh, what a terrible team. Terrible record to have. The interesting part is that's the first time they've lost to a bad team. Yeah, the others were Calgary and Colorado. St. Louis, I think, is last in their division. They lost like eight straight at one point. So that's the first time they've lost to a bad team, and they were dominated in the second period of that game, right? That's one of the few times the Golden Knights have played and actually gotten beaten up, right? They got uh, Corsi was 64% for St. Louis in the second period, 76% expected goals for St. Louis and the Blues scored two goals to the Golden Knights, none in that second period. So that's probably the worst period they've played of the entire season. And it's fair to say like this was a deserved result for the Mm -hmm. Golden Knights. This wasn't a, Oh, they played well. And St. Louis pulled out a couple of flu. This was one of those had they won. He could have said they got lucky. Right. Absolutely. Um, One thing that I thought was a interesting decision from Bruce Cassidy that um, cost his team. The second and third goals that the Blues scored came 41 seconds apart. The first one gets scored when Nick Haig and um, Aiden Hill kind of can't figure out who's supposed to take the puck. And it ends up in a turnover, ends up in a shot from a high danger spot, and the Blues score. That first goal, the the players that were on the ice for Vegas was their fourth line and their third pairing defenseman. Bruce Cassidy put those same five guys back on the right ice. back out there for the faceoff after the goal, and they gave up another goal 41 seconds later. Now, I know he's got a lot of trust in that fourth line. They've been better than the third line this season, and I know that Hagen Whitecloud have been playing well this year. But it does feel odd to me that you would have essentially your bottom line and your bottom pair right after the other team scored. Give up a goal, and then you put them right back out right. there that just seems like a poor decision. And I'm sure he's done it before this year, and we haven't noticed. And you haven't noticed, and they've gotten away They didn't with give it. up a goal, but that just seems like a bad choice to make. Like, yeah, these guys gave up a goal, and it's not like Jack Eichel was on the ice when a goal was given up. It's Nick Waugh and Keegan Colasar and Nick Haig, and then you put him right back out right. there. So I thought that was a bit of a mistake. On the positive side, how many shorthanded goals is Riley Smith scoring I, this year? I'm telling you, that guy... 
How bizarre is this that he continues to score shorthanded goals? He's got three. Those are not, those are not just, easy. No. Those are not easy to do. He just is like, guys, leave me alone. Yeah. Like, let's just play one on five. Or let's just uh, purposely take a penalty. I'll go out on the ice and I'll score. So the Golden Knights are now tied for the NHL lead with four shorthanded goals this season, and three of them have been scored by Riley Smith. And it's hilarious that you can have a penalty kill be out there and the idea that, uh uh-oh, we've got to worry about Riley Smith scoring. Like, I genuinely wonder how much time do NHL teams spend on sort of like, all right, when we're on the power play, we need to do this to not give up a goal. Like, how often do NHL teams practice things they need to do to not allow the other team to score? I mean, I think they just practice their power play. Right. You're just like, all right, how do we score? Right. And then... Now you're playing the Golden Knights. All of a sudden, you're like, "Oh, we got to do things to figure turn out over how to... the blue line." And right. there he goes. It's <laughs> incredible how that keeps happening. Also, Phil Kessel scored in each uh-oh, of the last two uh-oh. games. Lindsay at nine thirty. This will be fun. Will it be fun? You want me to give I away? Think... You want me to give away my numbers now on Phil Kessel? I can, I'll give that, it to Lindsay too. That will confirm your belief. He should be healthy. Scratch should eventually. still be benched. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Should still be benched. Um, here's the thing. Bruce Cassidy did make a change to that third line and it was Paul Cotter and Michael Amati about. So the last two games, they've had a different third line than what they originally had. But here you go. Last five games for Phil Kessel. When he's been on the ice, the Golden Knights have been outshot 40 to 18. That's the worst on the team in the last five games. When he's on the ice, the Golden Knights have allowed 38 scoring chances. They've created 22. That's the worst differential of anybody on the team. When he's on the ice, the Golden Knights have allowed 16 high danger chances while creating just eight. Second worst on the team. Michael Amadio is worse, and he's out of the lineup. The Golden Knights have a 30% expected goals rate the last five games with Phil Kessel on the ice. Second worst on the team. That's awful. Of the 316 NHL forwards that have played at least 40 minutes over the last 10 days, Phil Kessel ranks 305th in expected goals. It's terrible. Those are benchable numbers, and that's where Phil Kessel needs to be. Jared? What? Oh, I thought, I thought Turn Jared my microphone saying. off so I can cough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't wait to give you You normally so power so. through it. My bad. I'm, I'm thought, still I on vacation. I thought you were saying something. I thought you were saying something. That's my bad. Um, those are... Pretty stark numbers for O'Philly. He's not and any good. I can't wait till Lindsay comes on so you can give her those numbers and let's see her response because it's going to be momentum. What's it, no, well, it won't be momentum. Locker room uh, strength and what he does in the he locker room. What he does for the what he does for the boys. Well, <laughs> if you're, but if you're not playing, it's it's a little different. I, I didn't think. cut him. He's still going to be in the locker room. Here's the other key. Phil Kessel over the last five games has the lowest time on ice of any Golden Knight. Bruce Cassidy already knows Phil Kessel doesn't right. need to be on the ice. He just not he's just not taking him out of the lineup. Bruce Cat Bruce Cassidy's already showing us that he knows Phil Kessel should not be on the ice, but he just isn't going to actually take him out of the lineup. The well, they lose three in a row. Let's see. Here's the main argument for not taking Phil Kessel out of the lineup. It has nothing to do with his goals. It's who do you bring in? I mean, wouldn't it, would it be Amadio? Who just got benched, and Amadio's yeah. got basically the same numbers as right. Phil Kessel. Amadio's been just as bad, right? In the offseason, when we looked at the Golden Knights 
roster construction, one of the main things we pointed at was where's the forward depth on this mm-hmm. team? And normally we talked about it in regards to, all right, when they have injuries, who's going up, who's going right, to be in the right. top six. Never been injured this year, like at all. So where that's now showing itself is though, when somebody's playing poorly, how do you well, take how them do out you, of the lineup? You, you can't because there's no one below them that you should you should elevate. Right. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Michael Amadio should be in the lineup over Phil Kessel because he shouldn't, right? Phil Kessel should still be in the lineup based on the other options that they have. But the way Phil Kessel is played is benchable. The way Phil Kessel is performed right. is benchable. And that's just that I think that's going to be But they a have fact. the same problem then with the forward depth. Right. It doesn't change if you bring in Amadio. That's going to be a problem going forward for the Golden Knights. I think this Especially entire when they start year. playing really good teams. The other, and I would say this, the other reason you probably keep Phil Kessel in the lineup is when there is an injury to one of the top two lines, Phil Kessel's getting the call up to the top six, right? Mm-hmm. If if one of the wingers gets hurt, Phil Kessel's moving up into a top six role. And that's where Phil Kessel can actually provide you something, right? Because he, he's on the team to produce points, right? He's on the right. team to create assists and chances for his teammates. Who cares if he creates a chance for Brett Howden? <laughs> right, it's Brett Howden. But if he's playing with Eichel and Stone or Smith and Marshall or whatever it is, I guess it'd be Carlson and Marshall, then he might actually give you something of value. But right now, you're just hoping for the random odd goal, which he's gotten two of in the last two games. But he just doesn't provide you much value as a third liner. The issue is neither does Michael Amato. And neither does it's probably Paul, well, probably not Paul Cotter. Right. And anybody they'd call up from the Silver Knights is probably not providing no. you uh, difference making value either. Right. So the lack of depth on this team hurts them quite a bit because you can't take a Phil Kessel out of the lineup because who's playing instead of Phil Kessel? So he should be benched, but there's not really a viable alternative. But his numbers are bad. When he's out there, the Golden Knights get dominated. Get absolutely crushed by the other team every single time. <laughs> every time. And it's going to keep happening. I, and we're going to have this conversation until Phil Kessel's playing on a different line, which, by the way, are they going to get an injury? Like, that's going to happen, right? <laughs> I'm knocking on the wood here. I'm like, it's hockey. It's no, going to happen. Yeah. No, it's so last year they got all their injuries out of the way for like three seasons. <laughs> so they're going to be just completely healthy. Just it's, nobody gets hurt the It's sort of year. like uh, the Raiders last year. They won a bunch of one-score games, so now they're losing all their right, one-score right, games to balance six. it out. Yeah. It's just like they've been very – it's hard to say they're fortunate when Robin Leonard can't play the entire year, right? It's, it's hard to say that, but they've been fortunate so far in season with injuries that they haven't had any, and I'd be curious to see what happens when they do run into a couple of injuries to the forwards. Like, how do you mix up the lines? Does Phil Kessel have a good role on the team? When he's playing on the top six, don't they typically fire their coach when they get injuries? <laughs> Wait till the season ends, though. You got to you got to manage yeah. the season with the injuries, and then you get fired. <laughs> All right, coming up next, Sam Gordon joins the show. Felt like Matt gave us the best chance to win, and and I had the conversation with Sam, who is a true pro, and I have so much respect, you know, that young man and and the way that he's conducted himself and the type of teammate he is, and Nick. You know, as soon as I talked to Sam, he was right in the role that Matt had been for him, helping and discussion. And um, actually, when offensive plays are being run, a lot of times I keep those guys back there with me, going through progressions with them. I've known Jeff. I think I played in a Pro Bowl with him maybe in 2010, uh, which is funny, you know. Um, 
but uh, I and I always remember, he, you know, he, he was kind of being from Georgia, family from Georgia. He was like, hey, can can I get your helmet? And I was like, what? Like Jeff, Jeff Saturday, you know, because I grew up a huge Peyton fan and and those kind of things. So that that was special. We are back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Sam Gordon. Good morning, Sam. Hey, Sam. Hey. What's up, fellas? Happy Monday. Good morning. How you guys doing? We're yeah. uh, we're good. Um, so okay. I'll I'll start you with this question: Should Mark Davis fire Josh McDaniels today? Um, no, I don't. I don't think there's any sense in doing it right now uh, at this juncture in the season. Right? I think we're we're seeing an increasingly um, to that point, though, Tyler, I think we're seeing an increasingly mountain, big, uh, you know, mountain of evidence um, that you know he's not really fit for a head coaching job, right? I mean, seven and twenty-four in his last thirty-one games, he comes in. This is a playoff team uh, last year, and you know, say what you will about the one-score games and, and how they made the playoffs, but nonetheless, it was a playoff team, and the expectation, of course, was to, to build on that and to improve, and that's what why you saw the the moves in the offseason. Um, with Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, et cetera, et cetera. And, and lo and behold, they're two and seven. Um, the, the locker room seeming seems to be an absolute mess. And you have the head, the, the, the quarterback, the franchise quarterback, who's been here nine years, um, crying at the podium after another embarrassing loss. So uh, what, but at the same time, what, what we're doing that right now really change. It's not going to salvage the season. Uh, you're two and seven. You're not going to necessarily make the playoffs. Um, that's, very clear at, at this point. So I'm not sure what that would fix, but um, at, at this juncture, right? It's, it, we, we, look, could things turn, turn around moving forward next season with Josh McDaniels at the helm? I don't know, maybe, but again, nothing to suggest um, that's going to happen uh, at all. I, I just don't think that that doing this, that, that, that making that move right now um, would fix anything because the season's already lost. Um, you're already in shambles. And I don't know if you're going to be able to really build towards anything um, in the future with an interim guy. So it's no question. It's been a disaster of a season, um, but I don't think that kind of move would help uh, right now. We also asked this question in the, in the first uh, segment uh, is Dave Ziegler not getting enough criticism. Uh, uh, didn't fix the offensive line. Didn't fix the secondary guys. He's brought in have not performed in terms of Chandler Jones. Uh, it seems like Josh McDaniels and I agree with you has not shown he's a head coach. But what about Dave Ziegler? Yeah, I mean, Ed, I think you're spot on. Um, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think you take a look, going just going to Chandler Jones, um, that was, I mean, a huge signing. You spent a lot of money, guaranteed money moving forward. Hasn't worked out. He just hasn't performed at the level, not even remotely close um, to the level that we're used to seeing him at or that we've seen him at the last several years. You talk about the defensive side of the ball. Um, defense wasn't good by any means last year, right? Solid situationally. Decent enough to, to, to make the playoffs, but not a, a feared unit by any means. Dave Ziegler brings in, I think, like five or six new starters. I mean, you, you talk about everybody that he brought in. Uh, and the defense is worse, right? The defense is, is worse. I think from an offensive perspective, you touched on it. Ed, the offensive line um, still an issue. And, and adding Devontae Adams, sure, it gives you a number one receiver and perhaps the best receiver, top two or three receiver uh, in the NFL. But the offense just still isn't good. So, um, yeah, I think he definitely deserves, uh, I think, a little bit more criticism and a little bit more um, questions about, about why um, this thing isn't better. But let's, let's, not, you know, let's not forget, this. there was still, even with the roster being what it is right now, um, there's still expectations that this was going to be a playoff team, right? Like, I don't think we looked at the roster coming into the season saying, okay, this roster isn't necessarily you know, good enough to make the playoffs. I think, it, 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 yeah, there's gaping holes. 
But if they were just a little bit better situationally, I mean, their situational football has just been awful this season. Every time they need to make a play or there's a time an opportunity to make a play, they don't make it. And every time another team in a close game has an opportunity to make a play, they seemingly do. So, yes, Dave, Dave Ziegler definitely deserves some credit or some criticism. He did not upgrade the roster in the way that maybe we necessarily thought he would. But with that being said, I think from a coaching perspective, the, the head coach has not maximized um, what's available on both sides of the ball, and hence the two and seven record, and, and where we are now. It's hard from a media or fan perspective to sort of get an idea on the locker room and how much a coach has or has lost the locker room. But when you mm-hmm. hear Devontae Adams sort of mention not everybody's bought in for all 60 minutes and you see Derek Carr make a similar comment and say basically that he wished everybody cared as much as he did about this organization, what does that tell you about the coaches and their standing in the locker room right now? I mean, Tyler, we never heard that stuff about Rich Passaccia, right? I mean, we didn't hear any comments about how nobody was bought in. Like, I think the one thing that, that we know about last year's team and at the end of last season and the way they played for Rich Passaccia is they were bought in. There was a, a unity there. There was a, a camaraderie in the locker room. And granted, you know, a very tragic season in a lot of ways last year for the Raiders. But the guys that were around, the guys that stuck through that, I mean, we've heard, it, we've heard them talk about it publicly. We saw the way they played at the end of last season, like there was a, a unity there that there just hasn't been, right? I mean, we, the, the comments this year are completely different. So if there's not a buy-in, like it's the job of the head coach to get the buy-in, right? Like that's the reality of it. I don't think you have buy-in issues in Minnesota right now if you see their locker room. Heck, you, you saw the – I don't know if you guys saw or if any of the listeners saw Jeff Saturday's speech last, last night after the game. The Colts posted it to their YouTube channel or their, their Twitter, like, that looked like a bought-in locker room, too, under under Jeff Saturday right away, right? Just you hear the comments, you hear everything, like you understand that there was unity there at least this week. We haven't heard anything like that at all uh, this season from the Raiders. We just haven't. It's been the same thing every week. Not everybody's bought in, got to learn how to finish games, et cetera, et cetera. It's about this week 11. Like, if they haven't learned now, like, it's not going to happen. And the fact that the head coach and the coaching staff doesn't, that we hear players consistently say now for a couple weeks in a row, that there's not a buy-in. Yeah, that reflects poorly on the, the coaching staff. The coaching staff's job is to get a buy-in and to get everybody on the same page. Clearly, that's not happening. And, in fact, the contrary is happening. There's the, the locker room, um, like Ed wrote in his column this today, is just splintering. You could definitely feel that kind of tension. And, um, again, it's, I don't, that's not happening in, in winning locker rooms at all where there's trust in the staff. It, it's clear, regardless of what the uh, – I guess some of the kind of walking back, some of the comments are publicly. I think we've seen some hesitance to go – right to go all in in terms of criticizing the coaching staff. Um, but you can tell, just reading between the lines, that, yeah, there's not a buy-in, and that's on the coaching staff for sure. Have they made up their mind on Derek Carr to move on? That's certainly um, the sense I get at, right? Like somebody has to take the fall for this uh, for a 2-7 and seven season when you when you have the season that you have. And, I, again, I don't, you know, we don't know exactly why Derek Carr was emotional yesterday, right? But it, it very well could have been that, look, this is year nine for him like you touched on. Um, it's been a topsy-turvy, a lot of ups and downs, uh, that, that mostly downs that he's had to endure. That he, I mean, six, coach, six coaches, uh, a number of general managers, just constant turnover and that he's had to um, kind of suck up and, and try and be the face of over and over publicly. And, and I think yesterday was just kind of a breaking point, as we saw. It just like he, like he mentioned, it was you know nine years of this that, that's built up. And uh, somebody's got to take a fall for it, right? And, and, and you, when you t- take a look at the kind of the contract situation where we understand 
that they can get out of his deal, you know, right after the season, um, if, if they so choose to. It feels like it, it makes sense at this time for there to be a, a split. And, 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 and listen, Ed, Derek Carr has not played his best football this season. I think that's obvious. He was certainly, he's certainly been much better at various stretches throughout the course of his career. But when I take a look at this situation, you know, being what I, what I expressed on how I feel about Josh McDaniels and, and just kind of the job that some people around Derek Carr has done, have done, I think he deserves better. And it's, it's, it's time for him, I think, um, to move on as well. It might be a situation where, look, it might be just best for both parties at this point to start fresh. I think if he's in an organization or a situation where there's some, where there is some stability, there is some support and he doesn't have to make up for kind of all these, these flaws that the organization has, he can still win and have some success. And we've seen quarterbacks, you know, we're starting to see quarterbacks change teams and find new situations where they're better. I think not necessarily this year, but Matthew Stafford in the, with the Rams last year, for example, is a, is a prime situation, right? Even Ryan Tannehill, um, with the Titans to a certain degree, he, he goes there and they're a stable organization. He has good coaching, good support around him, and he, he's shown he can be a winning quarterback. So maybe there's a situation like that for Derek Carr out there next season. P- Pittsburgh, uh, New Orleans, there, there are definitely teams in the NFL um, that can use a quarterback, and I think he still has a lot of good football in him. It, it just is be- becoming increasingly clear at this point that that might not be in Las Vegas. And, and again, might be might be best at this time for both parties um, to move on and, and just kind of to see – what's out there in the future because at this point, nine years in, it, it just hasn't worked uh, for Derek Carr. It's not all on him, but it is what it is, and, and it's time to move forward. Do you think Ziggler and McDaniels get to make that quarterback decision at the end of the year and they're they're back in 2023, or do you think they could both be gone at the end of the regular season? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's on the table um, that, that, that they're going at the regular season, but I would lean more towards um, Mark Davis keeping them. I just don't think you could pay three head coaches. Um, if you're Mark Davis, I just don't think you can. Now, Josh McDaniels, maybe he chooses to leave on his own volition, right? I haven't heard that. I'm not. That's not reporting. It's speculating. Clearly, this hasn't worked out for him either, right? And I can't imagine if you're him. I don't know how much of the criticism he hears or sees, but the fan base is, I mean, is not happy. We see the tweets every single Sunday and you know, throughout the course of the week too. And you heard the boobers out yesterday. He's two and seven. He had just hasn't met expectations. Like it might be better for him. Um, to go back to New England too, right? I think again, if you if he leaves on his own volition, so you don't have to eat all that contract, it would make it would make such a decision easier. But I don't I don't know if I see that um, happening. And with that being said, being that I, I don't think Mark Davis can pay three head coaches, you probably sit through the off season, see what see what they do. It's clear it's probably going to become a hard reset uh, at this point and a rebuild, and, and maybe Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziggler get the opportunity. Um, to, to lead that, but but it wasn't that wasn't the plan uh, by any means. I think when you heard Mark Davis at the introductory press conference uh, in January when he introduced these guys as, as the new regime, the the expectation was to build on what was already established, and it's not like there was this huge crazy foundation. But again, there was a ten and seven football team that reached the playoffs last year and had buy in from the leaders in the locker room and, and had unity. That isn't the case. So uh, I do think my sense is that he will be back. Um, and, and with him, Dave Ziegler, um, next season as well. But, look, maybe this is a situation where they just realize this isn't the right the right fit for them. It, it certainly hasn't been um, this season. And lo and behold, they are where they are. So whether, you know, whether that Mark, Mark Davis makes that call or not, um, I don't think he will. Um, so, yeah, expect I think you should expect to see Josh McDaniels um, back on the sideline. Um, next season, unless unless something um, drastic happens, you know, between now and then. How exciting. He's Sam Gordon of the Review <laughs> Journal. Sam, as always, we appreciate it. Thank you, brother. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Talk soon. See you. Uh, So, 
Josh McDaniels coming back in 2023, especially if they finish with like four wins this year, is going to be a phenomenal offseason. Have we had Sam on on a victory Monday? <laughs> There's only been two this year. I know, I know. Like, but it feels like they lost. Let's get Sam. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got tickets to give away. If you want to go see John Fogarty, we got two tickets for Saturday, November 19th. He's at Encore Theater at the win. He's actually performing uh, starting right now. He's been there for about a week through the 19th. 702-364-1100. If you want to go see John Fogarty at Encore at the win, uh, he's performing his clearance. What is it, Jared? I already blew it. Credence Clearwater Reviver and solo hits. You can just call it CCR and everyone will know what it is. I didn't know what that was. 702-364-1100. If you want to go see John Fogarty, be caller number six at 702-364-1100. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Congratulations to Reed. He won tickets to go see John Fogarty. Coming up a little bit later, we have tickets to go see Pink. So stay tuned. Pink is coming to Allegiant Stadium next year. Should we also... uh preview that $1,100 are on the high line this week because yes. no one can pick games. On Friday, somebody's oh. going to have a shot at 1100 bucks. Uh, Trevor oh. missed all three games. <laughs> so we get we give you three NFL games. You just pick <laughs> the winners. And if anybody could pick all three, and you're not win. good at it. <laughs> yeah. And 100 bucks gets rolled over every week. Trevor was 0 for 3. Raiders, Cowboys, Rams. So this week, somebody will have a shot at $1,100 uh, on Friday. Now, Ed, do you think if you won the World Series as a general manager, you would keep your job? I think I'd keep my job, yes. But this was interesting for your Houston Astros, and you can tell me why. Was there a disconnect? I kind of can see with Dusty Baker getting a one-year deal. I think Dusty would have accepted anything. Probably yes. didn't know he was getting an offer. Uh, but with uh, with James Click. Was there a disconnect between the owner that you'd only offer him a one-year deal given he, I mean, he put that team together? It was kind of I mean, for really. the most part. Some of the pitching, you said? The, the Pretty much the entire roster he inherited. Or Except was, for some of the pitching. Or was in the minors. Uh, a good chunk of the bullpen, James Click, is the reason that their bullpen was, was pretty good. Um, if the Astros did not win the World Series, James Click would not have been offered a one-year contract. The, the owner, uh, Jim Crane, only offered a one-year contract to the GM, whose contract was up is what happened. Right. He, he only offered a one-year contract because they won the World Series, and he didn't want to be the owner that didn't offer a World Series winning general manager at least Some a kind contract. of deal. But James Click said, no, I'm not taking a one-year deal because if he takes a one-year deal, then he's basically in a position of, well, if I don't win the World Series, no, I'm, fired. I'm not coming back. Right. So... Why though? What was the what was the reasoning behind only a one year deal? Is there some kind of disconnect between him? We and haven't the owner? gotten a lot of concrete stories, just a lot of vague reporting on the, the owner not seeing baseball the same way as the general manager. And I think what's funny is more importantly, the general manager and Dusty Baker not getting along, or I shouldn't say not getting along, not agreeing with the same decisions, right? And I think. <laughs> the owner of the Astros basically with Dusty Baker. basically chose Dusty Baker. There was a ESPN had a story that at the trade deadline, James Click, the general manager, had a deal in place to trade Jose Urquidy, one of their starting pitchers, to Chicago for Wilson, for Wilson Contreras, okay. who's 
was whatever the third or fourth best hitting catcher in baseball this year. The Astros catcher position was one of the bottom three in terms of offensive production this season. And the deal did not happen, even though both GMs of Chicago and Houston agreed on it. The deal did not happen because Dusty Baker told the owner that he didn't want that trade to happen. And the owner said, well, we're not going to do it if Dusty doesn't want it. What's funny about that is the vague reporting has always been that the owner wants to make a lot, wants to make big, splashy moves. And James Click, who came from Tampa, is like, no, no, we don't need to make big splashy. No, moves you have to the win. best team, right? We don't need to make big splashy moves. We will make some smaller moves, and we'll find the right value, and that's how we'll win. So the vague reporting has always been about the owner wanting the big moves and the GM saying no, no. But then we find out at the trade deadline, the GM actually tried to make a big splashy move, and the owner said no because Dusty Baker because Dusty didn't said want he it didn't to want happen, it. and. That's the fascinating part of this. I think the Astros owner is about to turn into Jerry Jones. It's staggering. Oh! It's staggering. You won the World Series. It is a little nonsense. Bit. It is a little bit surprising. I think he's about to turn into Jerry Jones because here's the other best part about it. The Astros re-signed a player without a general manager over the weekend. They don't have a GM and they oh. re-signed Rafael Montero, a reliever. Okay. To a yeah, three and they gave him a lot 34. of money. Yes, it's a terrible move, by the way. But they gave they re-signed a player and they don't have a GM. And there have been reports that they promoted somebody to sort of be the acting GM right now. But I'm pretty certain their owner's the one walking around making these deals. Oh God. He and he and Dusty. Oh, you'll win it again next year. What Probably. am I saying? Hopefully. Because they if here's the thing. If they don't make another move, they're still a they're still winning yeah. the, the AL West. Yeah. But I think the Astros owner is about to become Jerry Jones. And I'm a little concerned about in the that. Shower? <laughs> <laughs> be talking about it in the shower? He thinks he can make all the moves and run a team when in reality, hire the smart people from Tampa and give them contracts.